0: It's a privilege for me to be with you this morning. I find this to be one of the most singularly difficult places to speak uh, for a number of reasons. One, it's the last chapel of the school semester, and you've already checked out. You don't need to agree so vehemently, Peyton. Two, the majority of you in this room, I don't really know that well. And it makes it very difficult for me to be able to stand in front of you and speak, knowing that you've already come to a conclusion about who I am and what I'm like. Three, we have new administration in this room this morning that don't know me very well. (laughs) so I could be in big trouble. (laughs) But having said all that, it is a privilege for me to stand before you this morning and talk to you a little bit. Uh, Danny asked me months and months and months ago if I would considered doing the last chapel of the semester, and he wanted me to give you a challenge. I thought, oh, boy, This could be good. (laughs) I heard you, you know. Aaron, I want to thank you for the songs you chose for worship this morning. And as I stood back there, scared to breathe one word of it, I listened to you. I saw your passion as you swayed freely with the music. You know we shouldn't do those kinds of things, right? (laughs) Or as Jenny knelt, others raised their hands, pouring themselves out in the throne room of grace. I heard you. And I saw you. It begs the question, how dare you? I fear that some of you sang those great worship songs just because it was trendy. And it sounded good. My question is, did you mean it? Give me Jesus over everything else? Are you serious? Did you sing it? Did you mean it? Behold our God. Nothing can compare. Nothing? If we were to go around the room right now, you could all give me at least one thing that can compare. Or the last one: all glory be to Christ it caused me to ask this question of you would you be happy with that all glory to Christ would you be happy with that for the next 5 10 15 30 50 years of Christian living no recognition no pats on the back no good jobs Would you be happy with that? I heard you. Did you mean it? I hope so, but therein lies the challenge. Because you don't know me all that well, I want to share with you just a brief uh, snippets of my story, if you don't mind, before I share with you uh, the most important thing I think I want to share with you this morning. I was raised in South Central Pennsylvania. I grew up in a home with a Christian mom and dad. Uh, Mom and dad took my brother, my sister, and I to church regularly, Sunday school, Wednesday evening, Sunday evening, Sunday morning. And uh, that was kind of the routine of my life. At the age of 16, I was in grade 11. That's Canadian for 11th grade. My mom asked me as I arrived home from work one afternoon, I was 16 years old at the time, hey, do you want to go to church with your dad and I tonight? There's a special speaker. In the middle of the week, are you kidding me? And I began to kind of uh, throw a fit and become very angry. I'm never making my children go to church when I get to be a parent and just storming through the house and all the while changing clothes and getting ready and walking out the door with Mom and Dad. And that evening in April of 1973, I gave my life to Jesus as my personal Lord and Savior. It's been quite a journey so far. April of 1973, that's a lot of years ago for me. If I'd have known then what those years would have included or would have been asked from me because of that relationship with Jesus. I'm not sure if at that moment I would have given my life to Jesus. Uh, It's been difficult. If you haven't experienced difficulties of life yet, good for you, but I'm not sure where you're living. As I finished high school, I thought I should do something with my life, and so I went to Bible college a year out. And Danny was correct. That wasn't just a humorous story he alluded to. After two years, I was asked to leave Bible college, not to come back. And for me, it was an authority and submission issue, uh, and I've struggled with that issue all my Christian life. I'd like to think God has given me some level of victory in it, that I don't look like I did then as I do today. During my years at Bible college, I began to be keenly aware that God was at work in this world. And my passion for missions began to grow, particularly my passion for Native Americans and Native Canadians. Never having met one, I grew up in an area of the United States where pre-European contact there were hundreds of thousands of Native people. And we lived way out in a rural area. And I would regularly find artifacts, arrowheads, hand tools in my growing up days that caused me to have this kind of a romantic idea of what Native people were like, but I'd never met them. And I didn't know anything about them. But as this passion for missions and what God was doing in the world became conjoined with my always interest in Indian people, there was this great conflagration as they met head on. And I began to realize that God was wooing me into ministry in that direction. My wife and I met during my second year of Bible college. We got married between my third and fourth year of Bible college. And just in August celebrated our 40th anniversary. And it's been a great, great experience to be married to the same woman for the past 40 years. If I could tell you that every day has been heaven, I'd be lying to you. It's a chore. It's hard work being married. But I couldn't think of anybody that I'd rather work at it with than my wife. Pretty cool. My wife and I are involved in ministries of several different kinds, one of which is with the organization called North American Indigenous Ministries. I started with that organization in 1976, and I'm still on staff with them today. We were church planting missionaries, as Danny said, for 25 years, mostly in Canada, some in the United States. But our native ministry still uh, carries out as we work with Native American students at Montana State University through the nation's program, and we're excited to be a part of what God's doing in their lives. I came on board here at Montana Bible College in 2004, and obviously still adjunct faculty today. About four and a half years ago or so, I became the pastor of the Three Forks Church, First Baptist Church at Three Forks, and that's kind of where we find ourselves in our life. I have three grown children, eight grandchildren, and it's been exciting to see what God has done over the years. Now, some of you have heard me ask this question before, but because the majority of you, I think, in this room haven't really heard me speak or, or know anything about me, I'm going to ask a question that I usually like to ask when I speak to a group of people for the first time and don't know anything about them. And you may think it's an odd question. Those of you that have heard me ask this question before, bear with me. And if you'd like to be honest in an answer, you may. I'm curious to know, by a showing of hands, how many of you believe what the Bible says is true? Wow. Okay, Those of you that have heard me ask this question before know what's coming next. (laughs) I'm not sure you quite understood my question. Let me rephrase it. From cover to cover. Without question, you see this book as the ultimate truth for your life, and you believe it, every word of it. Now let me see your hands. Worse than you singing those worship songs this morning that I heard you sing, I have now seen you raise your hand and you've put yourself in an extremely precarious and awkward position in my book, partly because I will hold you to this. If you do, then now it is time to either put up or shut up. You understand what I mean? Because some of you have been playing games with that answer to that question. I want to turn your attention to a passage of Scripture in the Gospel of John. Some of what I ask regarding our worship songs this morning have to do with this particular passage of John. Some of them have to do with the fact that while I am not... Look, if those of you students that have been at this school and staff that have been at this school for a long time, you know I am a flawed human. I have many flawed personality traits, thin issues that I am continually letting the Lord work on. So I don't say these things from the perspective of someone who has attained a level of spiritual maturity beyond uh, the plane of the human. I say this because through varying difficulties of life and seeing the Lord work in my life and my family's life, through good times and extremely bad times, I've come to the conclusion that if I'm going to follow Jesus, I have got no time for playing games or pretense. None. Oh, I like to have fun. That's not what I'm talking about. But when it comes to the seriousness of your level of following Jesus, it's time to get serious about it. I saw your hands, by the way. I was going to bring with me this morning a picture of me as a baby. Yes, they had cameras then. (laughs) I thought of a picture of me my mom and dad and my sister and brother. I thought that'd be a great picture to show. Picture of me in my childhood with my shorts pulled up to here. Picture of me in my childhood, my graduation picture from high school. Quite a dashing image. (laughs) And a picture of me today. And I'd like to line them all up here and say, from birth to today, I hope those pictures reflect the image of Jesus increasingly more with each picture. The lesson of the last five years for me in my spiritual journey has been this more of Jesus, less of me. More of Jesus, less of me. The account of John chapter 3. John the Baptist testimony about Jesus and the incident that happened as a result of some of the followers of John the Baptist following and seeing the disciples of Jesus also baptizing. And there became this kind of a back and forth conflict. The story begins in John three twenty two. It doesn't conclude with verse 30, but I would like to stop at verse 30. I don't know if you're familiar with this little story, but let me just read it to you. After this, Jesus and his disciples went out into the Judean countryside where he spent some time with them and baptized. Now, John also was baptizing at Eon near Salim because there was plenty of water and people were constantly coming to be baptized. This was before John was put in prison. An argument "...developed between some of John's disciples and a certain Jew over the matter of ceremonial washing. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, that man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one you testified about, well, he is baptizing and everyone is going to him. To this, John replied, a man can receive only what is given him from heaven." You yourselves can testify that I said I am not the Christ, but I am sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine and is now complete. And then he drops this gem. I saw you raise your hands. He must become greater. I must become less. How do you like that? That's the challenge I'll leave with you today. Jesus must increase. I must decrease. However you want to say it. Whatever version of scripture you might have. So the question is, after 16 weeks of being at this school, for those of you that are new here, after a year or two, for those of you that are returning students, and for those of you that are sitting here in administration and faculty positions, here's the challenge. Do you look more like Jesus today than you did at the start of the semester? I have been accused over the years of a lot of things, one of which is, some, a student told me last year, you're just so dramatic, it's like, yeah, I like that. <laughs> I don't think I can be any more dramatic than to focus on the, the, our attention on this question. Do you look more like Jesus today than when you started here? No, 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 no. Back that train up a little bit. Do you look more like Jesus today than you did yesterday? What areas of, our, of your life have you given up more of today that you held tightly to yesterday? If we ask you to pull out your Montana driver's license or your Montana Bible College student ID or your administrative ID or faculty ID, whatever it is they call it and you have, and you stared at that picture, do you see the reflection of Jesus looking back at you? More than you did yesterday. Now, I know it's hard to kind of conjure up an image of Jesus. So beside all my pictures of me from my birth to my uh, graduation picture or today, I was looking for a picture of Jesus. I don't know what he looked like. I hope you understand I'm not talking here about the physical appearance of the Savior. But in character, in action, in word, and in deed, do you look more like Jesus today than you did yesterday? You may think that's a very dramatic statement to make. This was was at the crux and the heart of John the Baptist. As this argument raged between he's taking more people, he's got more followers, he's baptizing more. What about you and yours? His response is, Jesus is here. I'm happy with that. More of Jesus, less of me. Sometimes I believe with all my heart that Christianity is just a trendy thing for a lot of Christians. I have three 30-something-year-old children. Great kids. Despite my efforts to ruin them, they've turned out really well. Great families, great marriages. And yet sometimes I think the generation that they find themselves a part of kind of has made this following Jesus thing a bit of a trendy thing to do. I don't want it to be trendy for my own life. I want it to be a reality. More of Jesus, less of me. Let me ask you in regards to Six things in particular. Can you say more of Jesus, less of me? Do you look more like Jesus in these areas than you did yesterday? I don't know. Worth a question. How about this one? Unconditional obedience. I could make a strong biblical case for unconditional obedience. Not just to the word of God, but this concept of biblical submission to authority. (laughs) Some of you uh, see me only as the creepy blonde-haired guy that sits in the big blue chairs when you walk into church every morning, glaring at you, right? But I'm not so sure when they change quiet time from 7.15 to 7.45. Now, you may think, don't get legalistic on me here has nothing to do with that, it has to do with unconditional biblical submission to authorities placed over you. And how you respond to human authority that is biblically placed over you is a great indication of how you respond to the authority of God himself in your life. Pay attention, more of Jesus, less of you. How about love for your brothers and sisters? You love your brothers and sisters in Christ? Does anybody want to raise your hands? Yeah, one of you do. That's good. Oh, Devin does. Yeah. Only if they're skateboarders. <laughs> you get the idea. Look, I'm, I'm I, yeah, okay, here's the dramatics coming out in me. But, boy, this is serious business because I don't see anywhere that paying attention to what Scripture says being true is an optional thing. It's not. And that's how I think we become more like Jesus and less like who we want to be. Love for brothers and sisters. The exhibition of love. The outward acts of benevolence and kindness driven from an inward emotion that can only come from a relationship with the Father. How are you doing with that? Some of you are about ready to step back into an environment over Christmas holidays. And boy, I'm telling you, some of you sitting in this room right now are dreading it. Because either your family atmosphere is going to be something you can't stand to be around. Your home is broken. Your friends are going to try to get you to be involved in stuff that you shouldn't be doing. You won't know how to respond when you get out of this Christian greenhouse effect here and have to exhibit Christ-like living on your own. No one is there. Love for brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. More of Jesus, less of me. How about this idea of personal agendas? Do you know what I mean by personal agendas? Sometimes we think Christian living, while we give verbal recognition to this concept of nothing can compare and all glory to Christ, as long as that fits into my personal agenda, I'm all for it. But as soon as that steps outside of that, we become much more resistant to it. Personal agendas do nothing for helping us look like Jesus. They don't. Personal recognition. Do you want to be recognized for that which you do? Do you aspire to greatness, i.e., people know who I am and what I do? Everything from. I don't know, leading a worship set to being able to teach a Sunday school class? Is it important to you, or are you satisfied, as I said before, all glory to Christ? Sometimes I think, in my own life, there have been more than a few days where personal recognition is way more important to me than making the name of Jesus famous. How about material stability? Are you consumed with it? Is it something that's a priority in your life? Or are you okay with trusting in the faithfulness of God? More of Jesus, less of me. How about idols of the heart? Oh, now those of you that are in the counseling program just love me for saying that right now. Idols of the heart. You know what an idol of the heart is? Really, it's almost like, I don't know how people define it, but here's how I would define it. Something or anything that you love more than you love God. Idols of the heart. More of Jesus, less of me. I trust that you are inclined to believe what Scripture says and be encouraged by The challenges it gives, not by any challenge I might give or anybody else, but the challenges that Scripture gives, because it's far more important for me to know that you are willing to be obedient to what the Bible says than to any human opinion that I might have about something. Spin it how you want. We cannot get away from the fact that idols of the heart rule us on any given day. How many of you know who Jeff Foxworthy is? Jeff Foxworthy was made famous and became a rich man by his little one-liners, You Might Be a Redneck. You familiar with them? I really can't remember too many of them. but They are kind of humorous. But I'm not going to tell you that. I'm just going to say you may be an idolater with these four things. If you're crushed when you don't get what you want, you have an idol of the heart. If you stake your happiness on getting what you want, you have an idol of the heart. If you grumble and complain when you don't have what you want, you have an idol of the heart. And if you make demands to get what you want, You have an idol of the heart. And all of those things detract from looking more like Jesus. Obviously, I'm not preaching an expository message on this passage of Scripture. I'm kind of hammering in on one verse. This was John's goal. More of Jesus, less of me. If he's baptizing more people and I'm baptizing less people, fine with me because his glory is at stake. This is the lesson in my life in the last five years, predominantly this, because of some difficult circumstances that took place about five years ago. I came to realize that my Christian experience had nothing to do with me, but it had everything to do with Jesus. I was in ministry for a lot of years up at that point, done a lot of teaching, a lot of speaking, a lot of ministering, church planting, missionarying. I don't even know that's a word, but. I did it. And finally it dawned on me, you know what? I can live satisfactorily to the end of my life, however long that is, without anybody ever knowing who I am or what I do, as long as people understand it's about Jesus. More of Jesus, less of me. If we turn that around in any sense and at any level, our Christian walk is going to be extremely difficult because we get consumed with self. We become self-preservationists. We want to raise self up. We believe everything society and the world has to tell us, but I assure you of this, The only thing that matters, and I know I'm only focusing on one little verse in the entirety of Scripture, but I think I could make a case pretty strongly that this one little verse, more of Jesus, less of me, is a predominant theme throughout all of Scripture. And if your life exhibits anything less than that, A reordering of priorities is very important for you at this time. So as you get ready to head out for this Christmas holiday, wrapping up this semester, and I encourage you to finish as strong as possible, and you go home, get refreshed or get challenged, and you return, if that's God's will for you, that you come back to this school looking more like Jesus than you do today. See, that's the great thing about it. You don't have to be here to see this happen in your life. It can happen anywhere as long as you're walking with Jesus and keeping him first. There's my challenge for you this day. I trust God will use his word, not my words, in your heart to accomplish his purposes for his glory. Father, I want to thank you for the opportunity just to Share a few stories, passions of my heart, because they are important, not because they're important to me, but because they're important to you. And my prayer is that all of us, no matter what the circumstance of life is that we face, no matter what daunting task may lie ahead, no matter what joy and happiness you bring in our life, Our prayer would be, more of Jesus, less of me. In his name I pray, amen.